Thanks, Morris. Thanks. Thank you for not just chairing today, but leading in song. And it's not easy with uh, background music like that. Um, last week as well, we uh, definitely um, value our musicians. Well, I hope we do. I sort of feel like I do more now than um, I have maybe during the year last year. But um, it's great that they sort of have a, having a bit of time off as well. PC and Mary, it's great to see you. Uh, we were praying for you um, individually. We we're praying for you as a church um, Christmas Eve um, to a couple of weeks ago last week. Uh, God has been great and he's answered our prayers and Raf shared about your testimony, about his faithfulness a couple of weeks ago. That was really encouraging. Uh, we're delighted to see you here. Yeah, it's great. God is merciful. Romans 12.1 is pretty well known. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is your view of God's mercy? Paul writes there in the middle of Romans or two-thirds of the way through Romans in view of God's mercy. So what is your view of God's mercy as you sit here this morning? How do you understand the mercy of God in your life? And what impact is that then having on the way that you live? Uh, grace and mercy are these two Christian terms that get bandied around a lot, especially together, hand in hand. Um, they're, they're words that are used just in the everyday life as well. But in the context of, uh, of the Bible and the context of God's plan of salvation, grace and mercy, they're not synonyms, they have different meanings. I thought it was important just to point that out today. Look at that, it works. Grace is that which we receive from God that is unmerited and undeserved. Uh, I just want to be important, I put that in capital letters, that which we receive from God, something we receive that is unmerited and undeserved. My mother-in-law, Carolyn, she's not here today, I can say whatever I want. Uh, she had a very significant birthday not so long ago, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. She turned 80. It's a fantastic <laughs> celebration. <coughs> and she was... Oh, she might listen to her on podcast. We can delete that afterwards. Or? The... Um, and she received a whole bunch of gifts. You know, we had a bit of a get together, and people brought presents because that's what we do on birthdays. And I was thinking about grace and birthday presents, and I actually thought to myself, you know, how kids get so excited about birthdays. It's like Christmas; they get up early on their birthday because they want to open the presents. But aren't, like, what have we done to get presents for our birthday? What have we have we earned those presents? What have you done to be born? 
I was in the I was in the uh, birthing suite of the room when Rachel gave birth to both of our daughters. And I actually think we need to give those birthday presents to the mums because they do all the work. It's hard. Okay, we stand there and we hold their hand and all that and we get them things. But kids, we don't do anything when we're born, but here comes these birthday presents that we receive every year. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you've been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no, man, no one may boast. Salvation, being saved, is something that we receive from God. You don't earn it, you can't pay for it, you don't deserve it. So therefore it is by grace that we've been saved. Mercy is by that which we don't receive from God that is deserved, that is merited. That which we don't receive, which we do deserve. You can see that difference. When we were going out, Rachel and I, I would often, well, we're just on the other side of Greensboro, uh, living with mum and dad. I'd drive to Rachel's house a lot. Um, it's one night, and it must have been about 2000, and we got married in 2005, so it must have been about 2003, 2004. I was leaving Rachel's house uh, at about midnight. Her next door neighbour, uh, he's also, his name is Stuart, um, and he's still living there, he's a policeman. And I got to know him a little bit because obviously he's spending more time there. Anyway, it's close to midnight and if you know where Stu and Carolyn live in uh, Greensboro, you come coming up into Greensboro past the ovals where the Greensboro McDonald's is and you come up that road underneath the train line. Um, instead of heading right to home, I'm like, oh, I can see Macca's signs, you know, so oh, let's go to Macca's drive-thru, so I head left and then I go to the lights to turn right. It's midnight, there's no one around. The arrow's red. Surely, if there's no one around, is it still illegal to run the red arrow? <laughs> okay, yes, <yeah>, sorry. <coughs> I hesitated and I sort of had my foot on the brake, my foot onto the accelerator, and I foot back on the brake and I stopped and I hesitated and, and before I knew it, a few seconds later, I'm like, oh, this is not going great. I'm in a hurry, there's no one around. I put my foot on the accelerator, I started to head through. Halfway through, a police car came around the corner. Put their lights on, pulled me into the car park. And I just thought, are you serious? The lesson learnt here is don't hesitate. Go straight through. They would never have known. No, it's not the lesson. I'm getting to the lesson. So the police car pulled up and one guy came out and started talking to me. He goes, you realise? I said, yeah, there's no one around. I was in a hurry to get McDonald's. It's not really a great excuse. And then the other cop gets out and he comes out and it's Stuart, the next door neighbour. Never have I been so happy to see him. And he says, Josh, what are you doing? I said, I'm running red lights. <coughs> and he said to me, this is a warning. 
So don't do that again. It's not going to give you a fine. And I sat in the McDonald's car park, deserving a fine, deserved a few demerit points or whatever it is. But I didn't receive it. That's mercy. I can't find a better definition in words than Psalm 103. Talk about the mercy of God. Psalm 103, if you want to turn to it and follow with me, in verse 8. Sorry, I don't have the the page number, but Psalm 103 and and, and verse 8. It's about the mercy of God, which we don't receive, that we deserve. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Sin deserves death. He doesn't repay us for our sins in which we deserve. We're not treated for what we deserve for our sins that we commit. I can't imagine life, well it wouldn't last long, if I was treated and received the punishment that I deserve for the sin that I commit. I probably wouldn't make it to Mountain View Road to get home. Some of you might not make it out the doors. But God is merciful. And he's not looking for you to pay the price. Because Jesus did. And when you make a decision to accept Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, you stand forgiven because of his great mercy. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. There's no, there's no end date to forgiveness. You don't hit 40 and then it's all over. You need to live that sort of perfect holy life. There is no such thing as perfection when we're in this body. His forgiveness, because of his mercy, because of this is who he is, his mercy, his forgiveness is never, ever ending. Most of us are familiar with the story of Job. Job had everything taken away from him. Horrible, horrible day for Job. 
when he lost everything. And he had these three friends. And his three friends, they weren't really great friends. They misunderstood the truth of the circumstances of what was happening. They misinterpreted why Job was going through what he's going through. He, he, they were telling him that he had to, he had must have done something really wrong, and that he had to admit to it because God would then start blessing him. At the beginning of Job, we read that Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And the things that were happening to him weren't because of his character, weren't because of any sin in his life. Unfortunately, those sort of statements still get said today. Hurtful, unbiblical statements like that. And these were what his friends were saying to him. They spoke lies about who God is. The penalty for sin, we've said it already, is death. God says to his friends, I am angry. This is Job 42, 7 and 8. You just want to maybe just listen to this. I am angry with you because you have not Spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and listen to this and not deal with you according to your folly. They will not receive what they deserve because of God's mercy. In 1 Chronicles, I must admit it's not a book that I turn to often. 1 Chronicles 21. King David, you may be familiar with the story, takes a census when he shouldn't have. It was the wrong thing to do. For a number of reasons that we're not going to go into right now, it's the wrong thing to do. And he tells Joab, his, his nephew, who is the commander and chief of the army, take this census, I want it done. And Joab knows this is not right. Are you sure? You know, are you sure we should be? Not do it. I'm overruling it, do it. So he goes off and he does it. It takes a number of months. Count over a million people who can fight and from the tribes, except Benjamin and Levi. They don't do that. He says this is, Joab says this is not right. This is the wrong thing to do. It's repulsive, the Bible says to Joab. And it was evil in the eyes of the Lord. David had sinned before God. And the sin cannot go unpunished and David said, and God says to David, I'll give you three choices. Three years of famine, three months of the enemy just destroying you, or three days of the sword of the Lord. Three days of a plague where the angel of the Lord 
will annihilate Israel. They're not great choices. Mackenzie often gives Rachel and I some choices. She comes out with these amazing, incredible, uh, imaginative choices. Now she knows I don't like oysters, so she just from nowhere will she come out and say, "Dad, would you rather?" She starts all these statements off these choices with, "Would you rather eat oysters for dinner or worms?" Now. I'm not a great lover of worms, <laughs> but I'm not a fan of oysters. <laughs> Been watching too much uh, celebrity get me out of your jungle. <laughs> These weren't great options for David. But I want to just read David's response in verse 13 of 1 Chronicles 21. I am in deep distress, says David. I am in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. Do not let me fall into the hands of men. So the Lord sent an angel and killed 70,000 Israelites. David pleads to the never, ever changing, faithful, merciful God. And when David had seen the angel of the Lord with his hand over Jerusalem and the sword to destroy it, it's then God said, that's enough, that's enough. I don't think it had been the three days. But God said that's enough. Withdraw from that. As we read this morning, David continually cries for mercy from God in the Psalms. Throughout his life and in Psalms he wrote, he cries out continually, have mercy on me, O God. No more such obvious statement than in Psalm 51 when he had been caught out having an affair with Bathsheba, committing adultery and a number of months later Nathan approaches him about it and calls him out and in confession to God he says, have mercy on me. Don't treat me for what I deserve don't give me what I deserve for what I've done but forgiveness cleanse me we learned a fair bit about Paul last year uh, in, uh, in our studies in Romans he was a, a, a Greek speaking Jew well educated a Roman citizen well educated in the law of Moses as well. Uh, even so to the point of becoming a Pharisee, a religious leader. And he persecuted the early church. He, 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 was, he was 
responsible for putting Christians in jail, persecuting them, bashing them up. He was at the murder of Stephen. And surely this man deserves death. Surely God wants to deal with this bloke and just, on the road to Damascus, just strike him down. He's done enough damage. But we know the story that God does not strike him down. He withholds, holds back what is deserved. He holds back what is merited to Paul. And he gives him mercy, shows him mercy and offers salvation and Paul is obedient to what God asks of him. And God uses Paul in powerful ways in the writing of the letters and declaring the good news of Jesus to thousands of people. And Paul writes the book of Romans that we studied last year and spends the first 11 chapters talking about the good news. That Jesus died for our sins, that there is forgiveness and the power of God is at work saving people. There's a way to be made right with God that you can't earn. You don't deserve it, but it's made for you because of his mercy and his grace. And then he gets to Romans, that's all in Romans chapter 1 to 11 and Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which I had up before. That's why he comes to this and he says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of what... God has withheld from you and poured out on Jesus be really good people for two hours a week on a Sunday no offer yourselves every hour every day as a living sacrifice to Jesus And when we do that, and when we obey, and when we live the life that God has called us to live, we reflect a true reflection of his grace and his mercy in our lives. And I have considered... And I ask of you, have you considered recently, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, how will you offer yourself to him? In view of God's mercy, how will you allow God to control your life, your thoughts and your words and your decisions? What is that going to look like for you? In view of God's mercy, what changes perhaps do you need to make to see that happen for you? How will you live?
this is a a picture that has been in every household since I was born that I can remember. Um, you can tell that I'm pretty old. That frame is very old. But the words haven't changed. And they're found in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. I reckon it's missing a bit. Great is your faithfulness. Now I just need to find lamentations. I'll come to that in a minute. I'm just going to finish with this quickly. In lamentations, um, it's around 586 BC. And the Babylonians have taken over Jerusalem. They've conquered Jerusalem. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is sitting there seeing what is happening in Jerusalem. And, and I won't go through everything what's happening, but there is famine. The Babylonians are ruthless. There is famine. People are dying from hunger. It says that cannibalism is going on. Because people are so hungry. Priests are being murdered in the temple and just left to die. The young and the old are laying dead in the street. There's no funerals. And here is Jeremiah looking at these things and writing them down in this book called Lamentations. To lament means to be passionately expressing grief and sorrow. And this is such a time to lament. Yet his words don't express a character of a God who has forgotten his people. Or who has left them, who has departed from them. In the midst of what he sees going on, which is dark and lonely and depressing and horrible, he writes the words, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The mercies of God, they never end. Every morning they are new. Oh, great is your faithfulness. No matter the circumstances of life, this I know because it's we've just read it, there is no end to the love God has for you. There is no end to his mercy. Every morning is the beginning of a new day which God withholds from what I really deserve because he has poured it out on Jesus Christ and he has paid the price for my sin. Every day I'm grateful for the mercy of God. Every day. 
And in view of God's mercy, I ask myself and I ask you this morning, in view of God's mercy, how will I live? What's my response going to be? This afternoon, tomorrow morning, how will I love, how will I speak love into people? Forgive, be Christ-like. That is the response God wants from us. That is that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice every moment of every day to be obedient to God, to be obedient to the way he would have us live. I'm just going to give thanks now to God. Lord and God, give you thanks and praise that you are merciful. That you are never changing. The merciful God of of Job and of David, Jeremiah and Paul, you are the same in 2020 for us here at Montmorency. I pray that through your spirit you would continue to challenge us and remind us that in view of this mercy, how shall we live? What is our response going to be? That you would change us and transform us to be more Christ-like, I pray. And we pray these things that it would give honour and glory to your name through us. In the name of Jesus we come to you this morning. Amen.